Hello, James. Hello, Paul. This is the uh, this is episode two of what we are now calling the board retreat. Uh, in a nutshell, we are spending this podcast, this episode, and many more to follow, designing a game, a board game, uh, entirely within the confines of this podcast. Does that sound right? Did I get everything? Yes. 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 That's all the things. That's all the things. So what we have determined so far, this is the recap section. Uh, my notes do not tell me how much time I have for this section, but I'm going to plow ahead. Uh, last episode, on episode one, we introduced ourselves. We right. will recap that by saying that I am James. And I have I, ideas. And I, I am Paul. Paul has a voice. Right. No, we both have voices and we both have ideas. Right. Um, in episode one, we discussed a lot of where we're coming from. Um, which is very important because we are attempting to not make anything that we have made before. And then we also spent a lot of time uh, talking about some ideas mm. and we spitballed some stuff and some of that may be something that we can go forward with and some of it might not be. And mm. we are going to talk about that later on in the show. That's one of the big things that we're going to talk about is we're recording this two weeks after episode one which is about our standard schedule right now. Uh, and that's given us time to to ferment, as we coined sure. in episode one. Yeah. So we're going to check in on the fermentation, figure out how much kombucha we have in the jar. Uh, Whether or not there. the mother has reproduced. Yeah, this is all very specific terminology. And have you ever made kombucha? Because I've never <laughs> made kombucha. I don't know why we know these things. Um, yes. So with that, recap over. Nice. Let us move into the first section of the show. So I wanted to um, circle back about... So uh, it, it, two weeks since episode one, I've spent a lot of time listening to the first episode of the podcast. I did a couple different edits. Um, we don't edit out like sections. We don't do new takes because uh, this podcast is all about what happens in the room in the moment. Um, and how we, how we get through every single moment. So we don't edit those out, but I was doing like audio quality normalization, um, sorts of things and just balancing out the sound and, and figuring out how to improve the sound, uh, from a technical standpoint. So I've been listening to it a lot and also to figure out what we had here, what we have present yeah. tense, what we have. Um, and in listening to the show many a time, I, came to a realization, which is the most important thing we decided, Paul Susie, yeah, is that our board game will have an average of five people. Yeah. And we kind of, we like, we went, we went through that pretty quickly. We decided it and then we talked about it a little bit and then we joked about it. Sure. And then we moved on. But I really wanted to come back and focus on the fact that I think that that's a real decision mm. that an average of five people from three to seven, we said, right, but right. I think six or eight is a fair sure. top end too, depending on the specifics. I think that that's, that's very significant because that cuts out a lot of games we aren't making. Does mm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. James, what, what feels so magical about that five number to you? Uh, I would say that the thing that feels so magical about it is what it isn't. And the thing that it mm. isn't is it is not a one-player game. Right. And it is not a two-player game. Clearly. Which is clear. But sometimes <laughs> clear things are significant. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
and and I think that it's especially significant because um, a a one player game is solitaire, and I just I right. I'm not interested in those. Um, right. Like sometimes games, I mean, I say that, but I've actually I spent a year of college uh, endlessly playing solitaire on my computer, and like, <laughs> oh god, I was it I was playing it late into the night, and yeah. it was it was the closest I've ever come to like, yeah going deep in vegas and card gambling but it was on my computer uh which is good um i have that streak in me i have that like mm. at the slot machines until 3 a.m streak mm-hmm. in me that i mm-hmm. that i don't i don't pursue um mm-hmm. so but also just solitaire games i'm i'm uh, we talked the thread that ran through all of the games that we talked about and all the ideas that we talked about last episode was the social thread yes and and how people are interacting live uh, uh, with each other around the table as they're playing a game, and that that does not exist by definition. That does not exist in a solitaire. Right. The whole point is that yeah. is you're on your own with the cards. Well, what stands out to me about five is that in in even number games, in twos and fours, mm-hmm. it feels to me like there are factions that form that are by definition easily balanced and then they become predictable based on the dynamic of those folks mm-hmm. on who's in the room yeah and when there are uneven numbers in the room it feels like there's never enough of a natural tendency towards balance for the game to become predictable or for the interaction to become too stable to be exciting mm-hmm if that makes any sense. No, that does make a lot of sense. Um, five feels like the first odd number that I come across. I'm not, I tend to get over socialized. Like I tend to get overwhelmed and sensory overload when there's lots of people and they're all really engaged and things like that. Like too many voices or too many things to track. Five is, is the first odd number that I feel comfortable with. That's more than just me by myself three people still feels a little too intimate mm-hmm. uh but five feels healthy yeah now there there are definitely some logistical issues with requiring a game to be five specifically and i think that's why we're saying average five right right we're saying we would love this game to be played with five i mean we'll we'll find out sure. when we get to that point um but three in a pinch that odd number thing that you're talking about yeah um yeah, and I think that the difference between, in terms of just purely playing a game, the difference between three and five is far, far less than the difference between even two and three because of that yes. political aspect that you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Where, I mean, it's the difference between two players and multiplayer, right? Yeah. I don't know. So I, I'm sure that we'll explore this a lot more, but I wanted to, to dive a little deeper on the number of players aspect and specifically... I think that that's one of the big things that's going to guide us moving forward. Mm. Um, because we talked about, uh, in episode one, um, coming up with lots and lots of ideas and how that kind of like popcorn ideas. And then you're searching through them to find the one that you even want to like bring up on a mental, um, bring out of your brain and show people. And I think, uh, we will, 
reject so many ideas that we have solely because they're one or two player or 10 player games. And so really taking a, taking a mm. moment and saying we are already filtering based on player number because we found something that probably works for us. Nice. And next episode, we'll talk about how we're playing a two player game. That's just how <laughs> the board retreat goes. I think. Um, so uh, average five. Great. So now that that business is out of the way, we can get to the really fun stuff, which is, can we just talk about D&D for not a minute, maybe more than a minute? Sure. But Paul, Susie, and I, uh, we were at my birthday party (laughs) and we were hanging out with a couple of very fine theatrical technicians who I just finished working on, on a, on a quite big festival for Portland standards, for our standards. Um, Mm. and, uh, somehow or another, I don't even know how this happened. Somehow or another, Dungeons and Dragons came up, and uh, the sound technician that we work with said, "I would love to run a Dungeons and Dragons campaign," and oh. roped us all into it. Oh, you know what? Actually, the the initial seeds were planted a few days earlier. Okay, when we were striking the festival, um, the TBA festival, which also loaned us some sound gear, since Thanks, they no TBA. longer needed until next September. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it works out well, you know, the seasonal <laughs> seasonal employment. Um, <laughs> it's feast or famine here in Portland. So a week and a half ago, Paul, Susie, and I found ourselves in uh, in our friend's living room with right. a surprising number of other people. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a campaign of six plus the DM. That's right. Of and Dungeons & Dragons, which I guess technically I've played since high school, but... You know, like, hey guys, let's get the D and D back together, and then yeah. it never goes anyplace. And you've not played since high school. No, I have not played since grade school. I oh, think my. I was thirteen, my twelve or thirteen, the last time I played Dungeons and Dragons. So I guess that's really what I want to hone in here. Oh, yeah. and then so we had that experience. So set that experience aside. Okay. Entirely coincidentally, a very old friend of mine, right. uh, uh, who lives in China. Um, the illustrator for my my board game saga of a dying world uh, happened to be visiting said let's get the old D group back together <laughs> and so out of nowhere it being years since i've played any sort of tabletop game uh-huh. i found myself in i believe that it was two days in a row dungeons and dragoning drag yeah with two different groups and it was enough to make my head spin but your dice were hot the dice were oh they were sizzling (laughs) but i really but that's me i want to talk a little bit i mean how did you experience the dungeons and dragons not have it sure it's been a while yeah it's been a long time so uh tony bateman i don't know if you're out there in the ether but uh tony bateman's father was the last dungeon master i interacted with when i was 12 or 13 it was in his basement and it was uh i was in the fifth grade or sixth grade uh and my friends some of them were hardcore DD nerds and some of them weren't and but uh we were all just about to embark on puberty and dungeons and dragons together and it was intense and i remember a moment of glory where I chose to sit in a bar in the world of the, the game. Right. I chose to sit with my back against a wall so I could watch the door, and the dungeon master said, he's the only guy who's going to survive. I'm going to tell you that right now. It doesn't matter oh, what you're going to roll. Paul Susie. Yeah, and I felt so proud. I felt like I had cracked 
an essential thing about Dungeons and Dragons and adulting that um, suspect everyone. Yeah, yeah, and and be prepared and be it's, watchful. It's true that you're sitting facing the door. Yeah, and I have my back to the door. That's true. Yeah, in this moment, it's a habit I have now. And so to come back to Dungeon Dungeons and Dragons after twenty some years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel really old saying that. No, don't worry I, about that. I went to, uh, you know, I went to Guardian Games and I bought the dice, the mm-hmm. die, as we say. Uh, and I was, you know, it was, it was, there's something that I will say this for Dungeons and Dragons. The props are amazing. Like, even if you just get the bare minimum of just the and dice. And we were, we were using Lego pieces. I mean. As our figures. You're right. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine if. If right. the DM had pulled out his, yeah, his or her, I guess in the, if he had pulled out his like case of, yeah, and the twelve goblin miniatures yeah. come out and they're painted, yeah, with, like family goblin crest, oh. like those people exist. Yes, they do. I don't want to be one of them, but I respect them a lot. That level of detail is really astonishing and lovely. And now that three D printers exist, it's a whole new world. Right, right, right. I have I have seen on the internet. Right. I don't. I've not experienced it firsthand. <laughs> but I knew those kids who collected all those figurines just on the off chance that they might DM a game. Totally. And that's beautiful. And and so, but it it did feel it felt nostalgic and it felt um, familiar and it felt completely and utterly foreign. Like I'm mm. not really sure if I need to roll now or if I need to roll after the thing. And the DM was like really sympathetic to me and like, okay, well we'll work with you on the character thing. And now you need you remember you got the plus two on the thing and the thing. And remember, are you raging? Because if your your barbarian mountain dwarf right, right, sailor right, right, is raging, right, right. then right. you need to do the thing twice. And the, you know, so those are my feelings about DM. It's it's really enjoyable and it's I can see how I could get really manically obsessive about oh. about it pretty soon, um, but at the moment we will I'm in, see. yeah, I'm at the moment I'm enjoying my relative ignorance, uh-huh. and everybody else is like, "Oh, Paul, don't worry, you'll get it. Just follow us into the thing. Oh, and remember to bring your magical great axe that tingles in your hands when enemies are near." And then I'm like, "Hey guys, I have to ask this. Like every time someone crosses our path, hey guys." Is my axe tingling right now? I That's can't adorable. tell. Yeah, I know, right? I missed this. I missed the second <laughs> session to go to a different D&D second session, which right. is which is fantastic and also <laughs> it's something else too. I feel I feel like nothing has changed. And I think it's mm. um I think it's because unlike you, I'm I'm mixing my new person Dungeons and Dragons experience with uh with old person done mm. like with i we're literally taking the group that we had in high school and transporting them to my recording studio slash dungeons and dragons basement uh <laughs> den and and like skyping people who have moved away for jobs in and they're rolling wow. they're like yeah so it's so familiar except now there's alcohol which is cool um <laughs> But doesn't change the core dynamic, which is kind of amazing because mm. I feel like it does change the dynamic in our group. Anyway, mm. um, but I just find it very familiar. And and I was struck by both of these campaigns and not a slight against either of the DMs. This is just me. Um, both of them 
I feel like I've, I've come to realize how rich the storytelling engine of Dungeons yeah. and Dragons can be because yeah. I feel like they're trying to make it less about the hitting things on the head with sharp objects mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, it's trying to be this gateway into this giant role-playing possi- world of possibilities where any story is available to you and you can do any sort of world and you can go to a new world every day. Um, and then in in both quests, we're going we're you know we're hitting small goblinoid races yes. on the head with sharp objects and yeah. the farmer is coming into the inn and saying we yeah. have a goblin problem we're like roll <laughs> roll up that goblin problem for you you know it's it's and i i think right. part of the reason i'm reacting a little bit to it is that it's the familiarity and the tropes yeah. and the like yeah it doesn't matter what we're gonna go where we're gonna go we're gonna start with the tavern God, right. God damn it. Like right. we're gonna right. we're gonna where you're in a tavern. You're gonna be a you're gonna be drinking in a tavern and then right. there's gonna be goblins and you're gonna hit them right. with repeatedly with sharp objects yeah. and cast spells. And like in both we we have since I went through two first encounters, which is to say we created the party and then we go out on the adventure and then the first enemies show up. And in both of those, like everyone unleashed everything you like you were raging and i was throwing spells around and someone else was doing a thing and it's like you only get to do that one per day Um, right (laughs) your spell slot what about your spell slots (laughs) said the sorcerer um it doesn't matter it doesn't matter we have to get through this it's the first encounter and it's like there's like 12 of these probably but it's okay we'll take a long rest like we'll just we'll just quit the adventure for anyway so I feel like that was just a that was an interesting gaming experience that I think that we will maybe yeah. draw on or maybe we'll run away from or mm. maybe we'll keep having fun with. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure how it's going to play into things, but it's it's notable enough that I think it gets a section on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it does seem I, I do feel the pressure of, and this is both within the world of playing games, but also just being just being in the world in 2017 like storytelling you know superhero movies and novels and science fiction and like all of the things storytelling at this moment in time in our culture um feels really built around a similar beat structure as how a dungeons and dragons game and session evening is laid out you you know you're gonna have more or less two big fights you know you're going to have some character development in between them. Mm-hmm. You're going the first fight is for figuring out what you can do and then the last fight is for you know rounding it out like making it a memorable yeah. evening in some way or a memorable story in some way. And, Definitely. And 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 down to like the way I visualize or the way I I I imagine what the characters are doing on the little you know, map that you draw out with a dry erase marker. Or a Sharpie, as the case may be. <laughs> um, is, is really close to, like, what's happening on that map is really close to what's happening on, like, a, an Avengers movie. You know, how you're, how you're structuring out, this character needs to be over here so that you can see them as they're doing the, the glorious leap in which they die and through the, the flames and they get, take out the big kingpin and then so that you can make your self-sacrificing throw of the dice that will do the thing and make all the things better, you know? Like, it, like there's a... 
I'm not no, articulating no, no, no. I th- it well. I think I think that you're you've actually hit a really good nail on the head because in high school, you know, I would I would read fantasy novels and stuff like that, but um, but the popular culture hadn't quite yeah like we were in an age of horror sci-fi yeah you know like sci like alien races were out there but they dwelled in the dark corners of your spaceship and they wanted to tear you apart like sure and now i mean i think the most science fiction movie that i've seen recently was guardians of the galaxy or something where they just like go through a bunch of portals and you're getting these glimpses of these amazing societies yeah and you're saying, I want to, what about that planet? What's going on on that planet? But yeah. then we have to go fight a giant squid yeah, alien yeah, monster. Yeah. But I think that, and you, we can see this in the fact that uh, games are more popular than ever. I mean, that's one yeah. of, let's be honest, that's one of the reasons that we're attracted to games. Why we're doing it's, this It's all, all around us. Yep. That's one of the reasons we're doing the podcast. Like, yep. uh, I think that gaming and that tempo of small yeah. encounters, medium encounter, big encounter, character development in between i think that 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 is a dungeons and dragons thing i mean you can argue hero's journey too but but it seems so specifically of course the you save your best moves for the bad guy at the end right like right you can only use it once per day yes yes why would you use it on the goblins yes don't turn into a bear now oh he did didn't he he did he he did it just the right time though. It oh, was great. Okay. It was okay. it was actually great. And yet and yet even after he turned into a bear, he couldn't roll to save his life. Like literally save his life. Well, everybody's uh, okay, going down so the rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure the D and D will come up <laughs> clearly. Yeah. It will come up a lot. Yeah. Um I wanted to just talk about one other game that I played recently, um, before we get into the kind of the meat and potatoes of today of this episode. Um, and that is Codenames, which mm-hmm. is an incredibly popular and fun game. Yes. I love Codenames. Uh, it won Game of the Year a year ago, two years ago, oh, or something like that. I didn't it know did. that. Um, or not actually Game of the Year, Spieles des Jahres, because <laughs> the Germans and yes. board games. Um, yes. Uh, I'm really missing out. I've been to Germany four times, I think, mostly for work, and I have never played a single board game uh, in Germany. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, yeah. I've only been to Germany once. That's that's fine. But I went to the museum, the museum island. The museum island? Yeah, in Berlin. There's an island that's a museum mm. island. It's all a bunch of museums. It's great. Okay. We'll have to go someday. Yeah. Um, Codenames, though. Uh, yeah. Codenames specifically chosen because we have some friends uh, uh, who are not big gamers, and it was... It was uh, an evening and we sat around talking and then at a certain point it was like maybe we'll play a board game we brought a board game nice. um and so we play well we brought four but we this was <laughs> going to the beach for a couple of days nice um and uh we knew that a couple of them would not be we were not gonna break out illuminati the card game look it up it's so amazing <laughs> different show different we'll talk about it later um Codenames, though, is great because you can explain it in two minutes. You can... There's there's some fiddly rule stuff about whether or not a uh, specific word combination... Have you played Codenames? I have, yeah. Specific word combinations or lack of word combinations, like contractions and stuff right. like that. You know, there's some fiddly stuff, but you can always ask the other yeah. the other person. And if the other person has played Codenames before, they know. It doesn't take that many examples before yeah. you catch on to everything. Yeah. Or you just make it up on the spot. So... It's just, it's super, people get into it really quickly. Um, and that's great. And I think that the single thing that it does the best is it has 
singular unifying gameplay. Mm. And I'm I'm making up some words to fit here, but uh it's just such a good example of you're doing one thing mm. and you have to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And if you do it better than the other team, you win the game. Right. And but the key is better, right? Right. How do you do it better? Right. Um, and I was thinking about this because I made some offhand comment. We were playing with four people. So there's uh, one person in each role. There's two teams, and each team has a spy master and a spy. Right. Um, but you can play with a hypothetically infinite number of people. Right. You still only have one spy master on each team. Right. And you just add spies. Right. And once you get to like <laughs> three or more spies on a single team, your team efficacy actually goes down. Because one person, you'll get the clue for yeah. the word. I mean, go play Codenames. It's an incredible game. It's a great if, game. I don't need to explain the rules. You'll get the clue, and then someone on your team will be like, oh, I know what that means. And then you'll spend 10 minutes arguing yeah. about it, yeah. and you'll determine that it could be any one of seven possibilities, Right. and that thing that the person said the other day might be pertinent, and then also, have you thought about this other meaning of this that's right. somehow related to this other thing? Right. And then 10 minutes later, you choose some by like popular consensus, and then the, the thing that the person said in the first 10 seconds of that turn was correct. Right. And you just, you got off the rails. Someone right. sent you off the rails. Right. And I hate that. But but it's part of the game. It's yeah. a crucial part of the game. Totally. That if you're playing with five people, the team with two people might be better, might be worse, and it depends on the alchemy of the moment, you right. know? Right. And and but it's it's not written in the rules. Right. Right. No one is given a card that says, You are the disruptor. You need to right. try to send your team down weird actually that's maybe a great idea for a uh, uh, no, it's not a great idea. Back on track. It's not a great idea. Uh, it just happens organically with the same rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And that, th- what you just described, uh, brings out a piece of, for me, so um, when we referenced earlier the, the idea of, of five and why five is fun to me. Um, a lot of that is actually rooted in my, uh, in how I deal with the world and how inevitably when I'm hanging out or when I'm working with a group of people that I really like, sooner or later, I start to, uh, I start to say, hey guys, we should pull off a heist together. Like, <laughs> like that is my shorthand for... You're yeah. a good group of people. You're well-balanced. We've got the right sense of humor. We've got the right dynamic together. We should, uh, you know, we should we should go steal money or something. We got to do something with this, like, yeah. connection that we have. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, you would be an excellent Greaseman. Why yeah. are we just sitting here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's that, it's that feeling of the potential, the potential heist. I know and, that feeling. And, and Codenames and certain other games, well, D&D is a great example of it, too. Like... Certain games, certain multiplayer games bring out that feeling in me too. Mm-hmm. So I would love to somehow make as surefire as possible a way to create that feeling for uh, for whoever is playing the game. Now, whether that means we need to be in teams or not, I don't know. Yeah. But... Um, but that, but I, I specifically remember a game of Codenames that I played... 
that felt that way. That that even though we were competing against each other, even though we were on different teams, it still absolutely felt like we were pulling off a heist together. And that was so so much fun. I love applying that to code names because what is that? Yeah. What does that mean? Like you're the noun guy, I'm the verb guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's an adjective. <laughs> Better call in, you know, the specialist. That's, That's right. fantastic. That's right. No, but but I agree with you that I, that that feeling is great, and 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 it I'm it can be accomplished through the people that you invite, or it can be accomplished through the game. Right. I don't, we'll we'll talk more about it. I don't I don't need to bring up other games. I mean, pandemic is a, like an example of where it's 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 giving you the roles of like you're the medic and you're the researcher and mm. you're trying to like it's it's inorganically to to use a a phrase like organic design versus inorganic design. It's inorganically saying like you are going to be a team and right. you are better at this thing, right? Versus the like I'm playing with the right people, right? It's interesting to think about like how. Right writing the rules like okay get your friend who's really good at numbers right get your friend who has a lot of underworld connections right now get the guy who is dumber than a box of rocks but he can open any door right yeah um shall we shall we hit it yes shall we spin it let's hit it great uh (laughs) i wanted to circle back about the ideas that we had last time Uh um we came away with three Three and a half, I think, is the best way of numbering them. Okay. Uh, aside from the number of people issue, which is a um, I see. mechanical issue. Okay. And, and I can talk more about that distinction. But we, we came up with about three and a half different directions. Um, possibly two and a half. I'll try to explain this numbering a little bit. Okay. Um, but... Uh, uh, I want to talk about what we did before. I want to check in about what we're thinking about them now. And then I want to talk about some new stuff too. And we'll find out what the new stuff is. Cause we don't know yet. We have, we have technically pierced the veil um, oh. to borrow some. We only do that once. We oh, only, right. yeah. Nice. This is, this is using some vocabulary from episode one. Um, so the we're, we're we, we continue to be beyond it, uh, but we can always bring up new ideas. I think that that's a, that's an important aspect of things. Um, cool. So to briefly go over them, the three, there are four different items and we'll talk about whether they are all pertinent or not. Um, first, we talked about a game that is uh, murder in the Supreme Court. Oh, right. <laughs> Did you forget? No, I didn't forget. I, I, it was, I knew that. I okay. Kind okay, of forgot. okay. I kind of forgot. The second item is a, uh, a, uh, the decline of civilization right uh through some means yes the third item related and that's where the half comes in i think um is this idea of diminishing resources yes yes um and i'll explain why i'm splitting that out in a second um no all a second has passed i'll explain it now i'm splitting it out because it while they were connected when we thought of them um when we were talking about them it's possible that they're different things it's possible okay. that they're different ideas. Those could be separated out. Diminishing resources versus the decline of civilization. Yes. Or together. Or, you know, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying sure. not to pigeonhole us too much. Got it. Uh, and then the fourth line item was um, we had just, I handed it to you. You said uh, a thing about clockwork. Um, oh, right. Clockwork mechanics. Yeah, me- yeah, yeah. Mechanical pieces. Texture. Yep. Yeah. And just this feel of something. Um, 
and I, I, I don't know what to do with that yet, right. but it's on the list, you know? And I cool. think that that's a really important thing to be carrying forward is this idea of things are on the list. We don't have to, we don't have to include everything, Cool. but it's important to include them on the list at the least. Yeah. Um, to track them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what is the first thing in your brain as I list all those things off? <laughs> well, I think that murder in the Supreme Court is, uh, is, is unworthy of us. Um, I think I had already dismissed that detail because the, the, the critical, the critical aspect of that for me is the five, right? Is the, is the numbers that we were discussing earlier in this episode already. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to let go of that, of that particular narrative detail. Um, Can I tell you a secret, Paul Susie? Yeah, please. Uh, Paul Susie is looking at my show notes that I wrote for this note yeah. for this show. Uh, and the, the note under recapping the ideas from four is the big twist regarding what game is my favorite idea. Uh huh. I was sitting in a bar and I was waiting for some friends uh-huh. to show up and they didn't show up and I was just sitting there and my phone was dying and I had this beer in front of me and I wasn't sure to what degree I should nurse it versus <laughs> drink it. And then at a certain point I realized to, to skip forward a little bit, uh-huh. like 20, 25 minutes. Um, before I texted the people with the last of my battery power, I went back and looked at the email about when we were meeting up and realized I had the wrong date. Has uh, this ever happened to you? Yeah, totally. All the time. As I was sitting there, not using my phone, alone in a bar, uh-huh. I, th- I was thinking, I was letting things ferment. Uh-huh. And I realized that I kind of love the Supreme Court idea. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Uh-huh. I, I didn't think about it in terms of a light. I thought about I I took the idea at face value because I was very I have to admit that I was very dismissive of this idea when it first came up in the podcast okay. two weeks ago. Yeah, I was like, no, this is <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No chance. Now. <laughs> and then I started uh-huh. thinking about what is the situation yeah. in which the Supreme Court yeah. <laughs> has to deal with internal by themselves. Yeah, that's right. Internal matters like yeah. someone has murdered <laughs> two of the justices. What do we do? And then it was like. Well, they go to deliberate a case, right? Yeah. They go into a room. They do. And I presume that other people don't. Maybe there are other people in there, right? No, there aren't. They conference. They, they conference. They call it conference. And the the this is the this is the best part of it. The the last justice who who is who's been confirmed, doesn't matter if they're the oldest person in the room, the 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 most junior justice in terms of their term on the bench has to be in charge of opening and closing the door and getting oh. coffee and getting water and you know like the that's the, um that's that's what's his name that's gorsuch right now that's gorsuch that's neil fucking gorsuch right now yeah <laughs> Ooh, good who, if if it if at least we can have that yeah hi totally. we're in portland oregon we're a liberal bastion that's right progressive god damn it yeah so then I was thinking, so I had this image in my head and yeah. I'm, I'm pleased as punch without doing any research whatsoever to find Great. it vindicated that people are in. And then I was like, I assume that that room is quite protected as any room in which nine Supreme Court justices gather yes, on a like semi-regular basis. Sure. Protected. Sure. Let's, let's just assume. It's privileged. For, yes. No, 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 no. Let's assume that it is armored. Okay. <laughs> Let's assume for a moment that... I think I see some, where you're going. This someone, is great. Yeah, is that someone has been like, well, the justices are going to spend a lot of time there. They're all going to be together. Like, we need to make sure that it withstands a bomb. Sure. So the bomb occurs. Uh, 
And the justices are in the conference. Uh-huh. And the and everyone else is dead? Whoa. No, no, no. It's the apocalypse. So you have the Supreme Court inside. And then just continue continue rolling with this. Sure. The Supreme Court inside. Uh-huh. And then you have survivors and resources coming in from the outside. This is clearly melding Whoa. like every idea that we came up with yes. together. And then not only that, uh-huh. but some number of justices are mysteriously dead. So is there, was it one of the justices all along? Was it Neil Gorsuch? Oh my who God. Who instigated the apocalypse? Do you find out by the end of the game? Oh my God. I want to be clear. This is not a good idea. <laughs> But maybe it will be someday. And isn't that the important part? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and more importantly, though, I think that some of these details are really juicy. Yeah. The the idea of the sealed room where you know every player, presumably everybody in the – everybody playing the game who may or may not be role-playing a justice or some equivalent thereof. Right. You know a certain amount of information about each of them, and you know about each of your fellow players, and you also know a certain amount of information is hidden from you. Mm -hmm. And you're in a sealed chamber, so that controls certain circumstances, and it controls the access of circumstances and conditions from outside of that chamber to you. So that is really interesting. And everything else is sort of window dressing, right? Narrative window dressing. Yeah. Um, ridiculous when it, like when awesome. people are gluing rhinestones to their windows to simulate <laughs> ice crystals like when renaissance painters are creating a whole perspective yes that they're lo- that you're looking through your wall at yes yeah yes yeah i think that well i think let's just put it on hold supreme sure. court during the apocalypse has a murder mystery so yeah. i mean there is of course the problem of why do they care about one person sure or two people as the case may be sure 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 so anyway it really (laughs) i had a lot of fun thinking about it i can feel my enthusiasm waning just the tiniest bit as i've said it out loud to another human soul and that's an important part about the creative experience too as you're like maybe this is a bad idea you you should maybe listen to that idea um but then i mean the other half of this was i'm sure that you can Let's just imagine the action cards, right? Yeah. Like if there are action cards, <laughs> there's like some ridiculous habeas corpus yes, card totally. that you can play that has right. like a pun about the apocalypse in it somewhere. Right, right, right. I think that there's there's some juicy material. This would be catnip for con law students. Yeah. And it's unexplored territory. It totally is. What? Who has ever imagined what the Supreme Court was doing during the apocalypse? Right, right. Someone has. It's a big world. I'm sure there's like a hairy turtle dove novel. Yeah. Alternative history, something. That's true. Well, if Harry Turtle Dove got to it first. Oh, you know what this is? It's this is Judge Dredd. Oh, no, that's good. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna write that down. But uh, Judge Dredd Supreme Court idea. Yeah. So it's morphing a little bit. Um. So let's talk a. Uh, let's re let's go to, go to one of our other, uh, the other idea, which honestly I already touched on a little bit within yep. the Supreme court fantasy, Supreme court murder fantasy. You know, the problem with the Supreme court thing though is, uh, I, I think you just end up playing with three to four players more. I have more yeah. to say about this clearly. 
So are five of the Supreme Court justices killed and you have to determine who did it? Like that just, it seems like a tall narrative order. You know what I mean? It's true. That's true. This may doom the idea entirely. Does it? Well, well, Mm. there's a whole, there's a whole geeky side of this where you, you, you say, well, you're, you're. To to get a to get a writ of certiori, you need. I might be mispronouncing that. So con law. <laughs> Don't copy that. Writ of certiori, certiori. You need. Uh, I think you need three justices. No, you need four. You need four justices to sign off on a thing, so that the court can hear it as a whole. I see. So I mean, there could be a cert, as they like to call it. There could be a cert version of the game where you only have four justices. I think I just fell asleep. Yeah, totally. Listening to this thing that you were talking about. It's totally. Yeah, that's 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 the problem with the Supreme Court is everybody. Yeah, yeah. You get down you get down a rabbit hole and then it's just all details and Mm -hmm. why are we paying attention anymore? Let's keep it in our minds though. I think that I think you were ready to call the Supreme Court thing off. I was. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. All right. But it's true. It's true that the actual, the actual bulk of my thinking has been in this diminishing resource end of the world camp. Mm-hmm. Still, mm-hmm. I think that so, I was most excited about it before. I think that, well, you you go, you go. Well, I was just about to ask about that. So diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting to me about that is that it's dynamic. That. You start with one set of conditions, much like your other game, the Saga of the Dying World. You start with one set of circumstances, and then as the game progresses in Saga of the Dying World, the circumstances change. the The constraints are are put on. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you have literally less room for movement in the saga. Now, in in this game that we are considering, uh, you are you, James, are drawn to a world of diminishing returns. Yeah. What is that dynamic like? I think uh, I think I keep coming back to the Roman Empire more than anything. I think, you know, I brought it up very briefly the last time. Uh, but I think it still rings true. I think this idea of that it has been very successfully mind in popular culture i mean foundation by isaac sure. asimov is like yes, one of the that's best the, that's the main one yeah and but and, even things like you know tolkien and yeah game of thrones and absolutely um this idea that that the empire will fall um and what that f- but it falls over the course of generations uh-huh. and so what that feels like as you're going through it I think that it's probably true from the game playing perspective that that a, a faster fall is more interesting um, because it probably didn't feel like much to the generations that were actually experiencing it. Right. And in some ways it feels, without knowing too much of the history, I wonder if people looked at the Byzantine Empire and right, right, said, right. this is better than what came before. Look at all that we have improved, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I, don't, I am not a history buff and I do not think that I can necessarily become one... Um, for a game, I don't think that that's where where my talents lie. You are a history buff. Yes. Um, all that to be all that all that being said, though, I I think that that's just something that is still resonating with me. This idea that um um y- you you look at the world and you're kind of it's magnificent. You have 
you know, imagining the risk board, what if you had all the pieces out, but every turn you had to take away 10 of your pieces, you know? Right. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible game. That's, that's not a fun game because you just, you just keep all the ones in Australia. Yeah. I don't know. You but just, yeah, you, you, you either go to Australia or South America and you just sort of yeah. fort up. Yeah. But, uh, but not making that game, but just feeling that pressure i guess i yeah. want to pressurize people sure um, sure for better or for worse sure. i don't know if it's a good idea or not um to do that to people like just thinking about the dynamics of the table but i think it's an interesting this is so idea. so i am i i am a greek and roman buff it's true uh gibbon's decline and fall of the roman empire is a hugely influential text for me as is plutarch's lives of the noble greeks and romans and one thing that sticks out to me from all of that stuff is that whether they they whether they were right or not the romans especially but also the greeks sort of had this fetish about thinking that things now in their moment in their day-to-day -day life right now are worse than they were when their grandparents were around oh interesting and when their great-grandparents, and so on and so forth, all the way back to the Golden Age, which was always this hazy thing. But that's when heroes and gods walked the earth. Uh -huh. And when things were invented, and men were men, and shit was real. And like, you, you, you won a war, and the war stayed won. Mm -hmm. But now, in our dreary, dark days of AD 19, or AD 48, or AD 472, or whatever, the, the the common thread through all the literature is we're we're doomed right now right and we're about to be it's going to be even worse for my children you know and so the the from a historical scholarship point of view like the question is was it a self-fulfilling prophecy all along like right um, from a systems point of view it's really interesting to watch innovation upon innovation upon innovation of technology and military tactics and infrastructure and ec economics like they basically invented all of these things that we you know take for granted and uh and and it none of that slowed down any of that feeling of diminishing circumstances diminishing resources um so i think that that's really interesting and and i think i think it's interesting for me uh having loved science fiction my whole life yeah. and, and dwelling in that and also just being an American citizen at right. the turn of the 21st century, you know, um, right. I was young when for the millennium, but still, I mean, we are such the opposite. We are right. such the opposite. We, I, I assume that we will expand forever, right. you know, right. I have that in yeah. me, Yeah, but it's the American dream is built on endless expansion. Yeah. And the Roman dream was built on, we have to circle the wagons because right. there's no more. That's interesting. We know that if we expand any more, we will get clobbered. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that's a really interesting reversal of and I civilization. Think that's, that's, why, that's why it's attractive. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, I think the, the, the crucial question is whether it's attractive just because I am feeling a certain way in this moment mm -hmm. um, or whether it's attractive because it's an important thing for us to feel in this moment. Sure. And I think that that's a good question to ask about, about creativity or you don't yeah. ask it and you just make the thing and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But I think um, since we're, we're doing this podcast in part to kind of yeah. 
slow down and, and say, is this totally. the right thing to be making in this moment? Um, I think personally, uh, totally, you know, I really do wonder whether, wh- whether we can hone in on something just by talking it through right. that we feel like is beyond us. You right. know, that's, that's, it feels like that is the the purpose of art and the yeah. purpose of creativity. And yeah. I absolutely think that a board game is yeah. creative and art. Yeah. Um, and storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. At its best. Obviously it can be, it can be bad. Obviously art can be bad. Obviously right. theater can be bad. Right. Movies can be bad. Um, but they can all be better than that too. Right. Right. And I think that that, um, that is crucial to, to know and to believe and to, to reach for. Right. So I think, right. I think, I think it attracts me more to can to hone in on this home excuse me home in on this idea of something that feels important to me in this moment because yeah. I think that it will be important to other people in this moment. Agreed, agreed. I I, I this to me this feels like the piercing of the veil. Uh-huh. This this exchange right now of how we are stumbling on the idea of uh, how being an artist and being uh, being alive at this moment in time in this culture mm-hmm. um, is about, and being a grown up is about negotiating that knife's edge between is there endless possibility or is this about an endless diminishing mm-hmm. until death? And, and just, has this been our time? Right. And are we now witnessing someone else, the beginning of someone else's time? Right. Which is absolutely fair. Right. And totally possible. And right. we don't deserve anything. Right. Right. Well, and I would even challenge that. Like, we don't, that's a, it's a very culture centric, well, Eurocentric thing to say, well, this was the Roman age and this was the Greek age. Right. This was the British age. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the American age. Like, cause everyone was doing something at yeah. that same time. Yeah. 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 It, like all the golden ages actually overlap or, you know, there's not so, so. And people in China were printing things. Exactly. And, and shooting off rockets. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so it's, it's, it's about who gets, who's, contr- whose narrative is in control and when your narrative is waning, then you say, "Well, this is the decline and fall period." And right, and and maybe that's what maybe that's what the game is. Like, do we do we well, call it a decline and fall, or do we call it the rise of? Let me let me let me put you on hold because that is exactly um, the right thing to say in that moment. That is the right question to ask because uh, there there was literally a week where I thought I would spend this episode convincing you to do a wacky game about the Supreme court. But then, uh, and I think, I think that that probably would have declined on its own over time, but there was a precipitating event where uh-huh. a couple days ago, maybe today, maybe yesterday, I can't remember. Um, the New York times did a roundup mm. of information about climate change and, oh God. uh, under, right. Okay. So you immediately see where this is going, but it was a quicko thing that just listed like myths, they're challenging the myths of the of the Trump crowd and and, and so sure. on and so forth. Um, uh, I know a lot about climate change. Uh, I do not know a lot about Greco-Roman history. Um, excuse me. Uh, 
I ran for a little while a, a blog about climate change when I was in college. Cool. I wrote an op-ed I for the Oregonian about it. Like, I oh, wow. it, it was yeah. So, so it's something that I have thought a lot about and specifically studied for a very for a little while, um, mm. very tightly. And I can't claim to to have made any um, great advances or anything in the field. I mean, I think I I I synthesized very little. Um, but I took in a lot of information. So uh, more than the actual content, this New York Times article to catch me up a little bit um, and jog all those those thoughts and memories and feelings because mm. such feelings like we're ruining this world. Um, mm. Those feelings, I uh, jogged all of those. And I said to myself, I said, um, if if Paul and I are going to do something with our time, shouldn't <laughs> it be something good? Yeah. Yeah. And then that spawned this whole conversation yeah. that I wanted to have with you about like ethics and creation and yes. arts and, and morality. And I yes. think that that's something that we should put off. Uh, okay. For later. Sure. Based on the clock. Yeah. 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 Um, because I think it's big and I think it's something that I still yeah. want to like yeah. do about a little bit, which is, totally. you know, it's the basic, it's the basic question of, um, do we make something about, about, like the first game that I made uh, uh, that was published, the only game that I've made that was published is all about people hurting each other, right? Like they're, mm. they're warring with each other over sure. this resource, this, this planet. Saga of um, the dying world. It is a saga of a dying world. It, there's some violence implied in the title itself. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. That is, that is what it is. Yeah. But I don't, I feel funny about it. I feel weird about it. Mm. Um, and I and it's kind of my natural place where I go. I think just because of the games that I play and because of uh, things like Magic the Gathering and things right. like um, you know, and conflict is a natural thing to focus storytelling yes. on. Yes. I'm not saying that we should we should imagine a world without conflict and and only tell stories where people are happy all the time. Like I'm I'm absolutely not saying that, Correct. but um, it appeals a lot to do to tell a story that does not involve people being immediately violent to yeah. other people, you know, like n no combat. Like, I think that, I think that the thing, one of the things that's attracting me to these ideas is that they're larger and they're yeah. more nuanced than just, I attack you for yeah. two or yeah. 20. Yeah. Or, and I roll a dice or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. know, exactly. Or I swing my great ax yeah. that tingles strangely. Right. right. <laughs> my tingling great ax. <laughs> it's true. Combat, uh, in real life as in gameplay feels too simplistic. It does. It's, it's too, it's it too, it doesn't actually resolve things. It, I uh, resolve those goblins pretty well, Paul Susie. <laughs> I'm going to say that right now, which is, which is a paraphrasing of a quote from Starship Troopers that I love quite a lot. <laughs> Starship Troopers is one of my favorite books, but I feel similarly, I yeah, feel yeah, a little yeah. funny about that being one of yep, my favorite books Yep. Yep. and movies. Yep. Yep. Laying down, laying it out. <laughs> Whoa! But it's Whoa. it's it's one student. I'm sorry to interrupt you with this no, stupid please. Michael Ironside's quote. Um, <laughs> a student is like, but my mother says violence yeah. never solved anything, and he says, and this is also taken from the book. Yeah. Um, oh, you should ask the the city fathers of Carthage if they have anything <laughs> to say on the matter, or perhaps the citizens of Hiroshima. And it's right. like, okay, right. this is great. But uh, right, what were, what was I even talking about? I got I went into the Starship Troopers. <laughs> it was it was it was uh, how 
it feels to me that while it's emotionally satisfying right, right. For, from a storytelling point of view, it does not actually feel like conflict, whether it's metaphorical or it's uh, simulated through dice or whatever. It doesn't feel to me, it feels to me that com combat or conflict is the storytelling choice you make when you can't think of something else to do in this moment to move the story forward. Right. That's true. And I think that that's also true in, I mean, the, not to get too philosophical and social justice -y, but that's also what happens in real life, too, is that we can't think of anything better to do, so we're just going to pull a trigger. Yeah. You know, because it's too complicated for us to try to figure it out. This is this is far too deep, um, but I'm I'm still thinking about Starship Troopers yeah. in my head. Uh, <laughs> it's hard not to. Uh, but one of the uh -huh. one of the things that strikes me about the novel, not the movie. The yeah. movie is a is its own beast. Yeah, it, it is. is really Paul Verhoeven. I've never said his name out loud, so excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Paul Verhoeven's um, own particular beef with like the idea of propaganda, but the sure. book. I mean, really what the book is about is is how soldiers fit into larger um, political yeah. realms yeah. of of justified force, right? Yep. yep. It's It asks the question of what role does war play in a larger society? And the answer is it is a tool to accomplish political means. Right. And I think um, Starship Troopers features a uh, very powerful technology and it was written um, in the 50s, I right. believe, uh, which was obviously a time of nuclear weapons already right. being invented. But a lot of it comes out of out of um, Heinlein's time in the Navy, I think, which I That's also right. believe was relatively peaceful. I believe that a lot of it was... Um, I, I don't know that. I feel like well, he was in World War II, but I'm no, not... No, he was in World War II, but I don't... Okay. Uh... I'll look it up. I'm yeah. I'm making something up at this point. I don't remember anything, <laughs> but uh, but I know I know that a, a big influencer of him to write Starship Troopers was the camaraderie that he had with his right. fellow sailors. Um, so there's a lot of that like military bonding right stuff in there. Uh, esprit de corps, sure, right? Yeah. Uh, but that said, I think because some of it is based on that. It does not have that same. The stakes are not what they feel like they are today, right? right. Which is a weird thing to say about World War II, right? Um, because it's such a obviously it was such a it was an unfathomably right. fathomably huge conflict, right? Um, and yet it feels. I feel like today it is. It is. We are more balanced on a knife point than we were. Yeah. Is that crazy to say? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think that that's exactly right. And so the the I, I guess the idea this is this is are we just building a castle out of tangents at this point? Pretty we're much. Just, we're on layer. It's a beautiful three. baroque construction. It is. Yes. It is. Um, so I feel like that's interesting to imagine, and I think that a lot of uh, games do this. Is is, and I'm. I find it fun to think about where, you know, you, you go to your turn and you have three different options right. and one is diplomacy and one is trade and one is war. And then you can pick any one of them and they're immediately resolved. And war is just like another thing that you can do. Right. And 
it seems like such a strange concept because to me, war is something irrevocable. Right. Totally. Which I think is also true. Totally. Yeah. I think it's also true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it is what the kids would call no- to normalize war is to put it on the same level as trade right. and diplomacy. But uh, the Greeks, Homer would say that that, uh, that it, war war is a thing that focuses that diminishes everything, like everything, nothing else is on the table anymore, but you and Hector or you and whoever you're fighting and everything else is, right. it kind of doesn't matter why anymore. Like, so I think, I think we've lost in our experience of war in this time, we don't have that kind of intense focus, um, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. So I don't know how this influences what game we're gonna make right. in this moment, but uh, <laughs> right. But that right. was that was a fun trip to take with you. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I think I think all of this is to say, uh, I think that I am still on the on the decline of civilization, diminishing sure. resources path. Sure. Um, but let's find out what other paths there are. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm ignoring the f- to go all the way back to the beginning of this segment. Uh-huh. Um, there was the fourth line item, which was the clockwork. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. setting that aside because uh, uh, it's not that it's smaller, but it's that it's later. Sure. Does that make sense? Totally. It's not a. It's not an initial condition. It's a later on. Sure. Can we incorporate this yeah. idea that I think yeah. is a very nice idea? Yeah. Um, so I'm setting that aside. Um, so we've talked at great length about yeah. the, then we're kind of left with two core ideas, the Supreme yeah. Court and the diminishing resources. Yeah. Uh, uh, decline of civilization. What else? <laughs> no, really, just what else? Like what, uh, what you are opening a homeless shelter right now. Is there anything it's there? True. It's true. Or is that not good? Ooh. Or Yeah, I'm I am about putting to... you on the spot. You immediately. are. Oh, geez. Yes. Uh, it's true. Uh, I do think a lot about like in my day to day, in my day to day life, when I'm thinking about this podcast, I do think a lot about like, would this be, is this a good game condition when I'm trying to figure out how to cross the Willamette river when three bridges are somehow out of commission? It's incredible. And it's ridiculous how it's impossible to, um, but, but like, yes, uh, no, I think, um, I am really activated by uh, climate change, by by you mentioning climate change and by you mentioning the literature around climate change, mm. um, and uh, and I and I just see in my as I'm sort of internally taking an inventory, I'm seeing in my life all of these different ways in which I experience diminishing circumstances, whether it's my bank account or it's <laughs> like trying to rectify corrupted data entry in my shelter or it's trying to get my agency to commit to a specific location for the shelter etc 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 um so i think that that's really rich um i i'm circling back to is it is it a question of the rise mm-hmm. of a thing or if it, or the question of the decline and fall of the thing mm-hmm. And maybe maybe the the primary condition is that we as a game get to determine. Like when you play the game, at some point you get to determine: is this oh, a rise of, or is this a decline and fall? That's super interesting. Yeah, and it's not determined at the beginning of the game; it's determined in the course of the game. That's interesting because one of the things that I knew 
that I wanted to to bring up later on when we started talking more about structure um, was this idea of of early game, mid game, and late game. Yeah, which I think is a is a. I mean, we were talking about this already, like hero's yeah. journey sort of things. Yeah. Um, D and D games, blockbusters, chess. Yeah, they all have. Magic the Gathering, yeah. the true greatest game. No, oh God. <laughs> oh God. I've like, I've... Clue. Ast- I've asterisks um, my experience with Magic, my ongoing uh-huh. addiction with Magic the Gathering for another podcast episode because <laughs> this is a deep dive where I like come clean with the world about how... Uh, it's time, James. It's I can't... Time. No, it's not time. It's not time. Um, but but thinking about the structural... Uh, I do think the early mm. game, mid game, late game is, is important. Um and I think that every game can successfully, yeah. dare I say this, successfully be broken down into those into this Whoa. paradigm, um, where sure. I think I think yeah. the early game, I think that there's some feeling out, and then the mid game is where you start to feel like what the competition um, yeah. is going to be, like what the what the core conflict of the game is going to be, like not necessarily do you do enough damage to this person, but you know in if you're playing with multiple people, yeah. what you're kind of setting the battle lines. If you're playing Monopoly, like who's getting what right. things, right. how it's expanding that way. Um, I mean, there's so many examples. And we can maybe, like maybe it's interesting someday to break these down. Yeah. Like break yeah, some games totally. down into this sort of paradigm. And then late game is like how you tie it tie yeah. it off, like yeah. how it finishes. Um, and I think that uh, uh, when you start... Um, breaking it down that way, I have always thought as we've been talking about this decline of civilization thing as that being the early game and then it goes from there. But it's fascinating to think about that in this moment. Thank you for bringing this up. Of If that's the middle mid game. Yeah. You know, like if the early game yeah. is existing, uh, maybe building, but advancing. And then there's a point in the, in the mid game. Yeah. Yeah. And just, making this up in the moment because uh, this is actually the way I feel about our modern civilization is do you go to space or do you not go yeah. to space? Right. Yeah. Like, do you go to space or do you prioritize, uh, stockbrokers and yeah. their minimum, like not to get, not to get too reactionary about this, but what priorities do you make? Do you, do you right. make uh, genetic modifying genetic engineering a priority or do you not? And right. if you do, then you have a chance of sustaining, a population of a billion in your country right. of the United States. If you don't, then you don't. And right. then you decline from there. But then the there's a game in the decline. Right. You don't lose when you start to decline. Right, right, right. And there's a way to do it where you set yourself up for maybe another ascent, another way to yeah. come back to that decision totally. tree in a better way later. Yeah, there's, there's, there's multiple paths right. that you can get in on somehow right and and even if you uh decline the first one through whatever means i mean it's not like we're relying on someone's ignorance here but if you decline the first one then maybe you can get onto the second one there's literally a spider dangling itself down over the table that we're doing this podcast on with translucent legs it's amazing it's beautiful i was talking about this like very serious thing about the decline of civilization and then i saw paul's eyes go and i followed his eyes and then the spider okay can you deal with that sure um i can try to (laughs) i think i did no you can't no okay but um 
but thinking about it in terms of that sort of structure right. and and where that is, right? I think it's fascinating as an early game thing. Right. It's fascinating as a mid game thing. I think that that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, it's like when the Fed chair tries to decide whether or not to raise interest rates. It's like, what if the murder in the Supreme Court is the mid game instead of the early game? What if the nuke goes off in the mid game? Yeah. Oh my God, Paul Susi. New life is breathed into this thing. There's what like, if there's a murder in the Supreme Court at the start of the game? Yes. And then the nuke goes off. Yes. As Poirot is coming in. And That's right. And then the Fed chair is like, guys, that we have to, the Hong Kong markets are going to open in two hours. I just fell asleep. I just, in this moment, <laughs> I just fell asleep. Um, <laughs> uh, so. So, uh, I think. Right. Yeah. That's true. In terms of committing to an idea, because at yeah. some point we need to do that. Okay. I think we should commit to an idea next next time. Next episode. It's true that I wanted to come away with some additional ideas. I see. To, to introduce into the mix, because otherwise I feel like we're going to go with the decline of civilization. And that might be the right decision, but I don't, I don't want to make that decision yet. Well, now that I know, now that I know that we want, we need, we, we, we want to commit to an idea next episode. Yeah. I have a strong suspicion that we're both going to come into next episode with like baskets of ideas. That's, that's probably true. <laughs> I think that that's a good reading of the situation actually. Um, uh, can I throw out one that I've been, I've yeah. been thinking about and then I'll toss it back to you. So okay. just get ready for that. Got it. Uh, I read a book a little while ago. Uh, and I don't remember the title, but it was about, um, actual, it was a, what it really was, was a very pessimistic look at space travel, uh -huh. but a pessimistic look where things actually get done and, and we colonize Titan, okay. which is a moon of Saturn. Yes. Um, and is a good place to colonize sure. if you are a fan of negative 200 degree temperatures Oh dear. and lakes of liquid methane, which is not ever liquid. Ugh on earth because it's too warm. Right. Um, but it, it does have a lot of benefits, including the fact that you can like scoop methane out of the lake and then burn it for heat. Yeah. Um, you know, like you do just go on down to the yeah. lake and pick us up some fossil fuels. Sure. Uh, not literally fossil fuels probably. Um, but I was reading this book and, uh, the, the interesting thing about it was how it was very pessimistic. And I started to get very, uh, dispirited about something that I feel very strongly about, which is space travel, even as it was painting a picture of how we can continue doing things uh -huh. um, in space. Uh, and so that, I think, is an interesting germ of something without totally just taking that book idea. But that idea of, like, let's make an actual game where we, like, assume that rockets are what rockets are and that we don't discover anything new, but that we also have to go to space. Okay. You know, okay, and so I, th I think that that's interesting. I don't know if that fires you up in the same way that it fires me up, but I think it's something that I want to kind of put into the hopper, sure. Just because I think yeah. it's good to have things rattling around in there. Yeah, it, it it reminds me of the Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars trilogy. Right. Actually, that is a good example of a book that I have started to read Red Mars twice. The second ah. time, I made it almost the whole way through it, and then I still put it down and was like, I yeah. hate all these people. I just yeah. hate them all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
yes, you are right on about the pessimistic, yeah, still accomplishing vibe because it's the same vibe. Yeah. Where it's like, we did this thing. Everything is still terrible. Why yeah. are humans so terrible? Yeah. Then I want to just drink a scotch. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to get through that trilogy too. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, a very popular game recently was made out of essentially the Red Mars yeah. books without being licensed to them. But, uh, but I think, I think that there is merit in that idea. And also I read the, the three body problem trilogy recently. I don't know that. Um, it, uh, the first one, the three body problem, is, they're all by a Chinese author. Um, and the first one won the Hugo award, a, a, oh. uh, two or three years ago. And they're fantastic. Um, they're f- strange. Yeah, I think I heard about them. They're like, they're hard to read because they're a little awkward. They're not beautiful. Also translated, right? Well, also translated. But I think that they're, they're just some, they're like, it's almost like they're not well written, but huh. that they're amazing. Huh. It's like you're simultaneously being like, eh, about the characters, but yeah. then also your mind is exploding with all the possibilities. Yeah. So it's this, fin- and and that is good writing. Like, yeah. I, we can't say that that is not yeah. good writing, even yeah. if maybe the poetry of the individual words isn't there, yeah. the ideas are such that they yeah. feel real at, even as they're happening a million years from now, a yeah. billion years from now. Um, so all of that is kind of in a stew in my brain and yeah. it would be nice to work that out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, my, my response to that is in terms of new ideas is um, this makes me think of a number of books, which we, we need to now like come up with a bibliography section of this, I know, the this, reading list really the, for yeah, each other. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'm, my comfort, uh, my comfort reading, uh, is to reread the Aubrey Maturin series by Patrick O'Brien repeatedly, the master and commander books. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically, uh, there's something really beautiful about the pressure cooker, the narrative pressure cooker of having a confined space with which all story hap- within which all story happens and it's really b- happening between people right and there's all these external circumstances of the french and privateers and slavers and things disease but that's really cool um so yeah pessimistic space travel m- makes me think of early 19th century napoleonic naval warfare that's fair um uh also um the decline and fall ideas make me think of uh, the memoirs of Hadrian by Marguerite Yourcenar. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful sort of modern memoir of Hadrian. Like as if Hadrian was a modern French lady <laughs> in the late 20th century, um, uh, reflecting on empire and love and philosophy and time. And it's gorgeous. And I highly recommend it to all listeners. You hear that listeners, you're getting a reading list. You're getting some summer reading for winter. <laughs> but there's not a there's not a fresh idea in there other than the diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh I think that let's aim to have to open the next show in which we say that we are committing with a basket of ideas. I think that that's the right aim. Great. Because and and it could be the guy who got on the bus the other day, right? And was kind of weird, you know. Right, right, right. Not kind of weird, but had a had a gripe, had a gripe. Um, because I think that those, I think that especially once, I think 
you know, you said the word pressure just then. And yeah. I think the pressure is the right word. I think the pressure is always important to get the right decisions made. Yeah. Um, next episode. Are you good for it? Yeah, totally. Okay. Oh my God. We'll do it. Um, so I think then the, we, we have, we've finished out the important business of this episode and I just had some, some housekeeping, some wrap up to do. Nice. Uh, so as as promised, jokingly, and we've made good on it, we have some notices from last episode. Um, uh, first off, these these will be pretty quick. First off, I mentioned a solar flare. This was part of the original the origination of um, the decline idea, like <laughs> what disasters can occur in the books my mom reads. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. She's gonna be so mad. Uh, I'm bringing her up this way. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so I mentioned a solar flare in like the 1860s. Uh, it was actually in 1859, oh. which is pretty good. Pretty good, me. It was on September 1st and 2nd. Hey, uh-huh. what? It was so long ago. <laughs> it's called the Carrington event. I don't know why. Um, mm. It was the largest magnetic storm on record. Uh, it was it, basically what happened was a piece of the sun got exploded out towards us. And this is happening all the time, but right. space is big and the sun and, well, the earth is relatively small. Sure. Um, so usually they just don't hit us. Right. Right. Um, they're called coronal mass ejections, uh, which is a fancy term for a piece of the sun exploding at us. Yeah. Um, so another one will happen someday. It, they just happen. The sun gets feisty sometimes, and then it it, it shoots a piece at us, and they're like yeah. hot, magnetically, sure. electrically charged The sun particles. has just been enthusiastic. A it's little. very enthusiastic. That's why we're warm during the day, <laughs> although not, you know, these days. Hmm. Uh, second... I did, in fact, look up the number of Star Wars Monopoly variants. It was pretty easy. There's a Monopoly wiki. Uh, uh, there are six, which was the number that we theorized. There was one. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. We said one per movie, and there are seven movies now. There are possibly well, eight movies. There's eight movies now, isn't there? Uh, yeah. So, Monopoly. I guess it's true. Wow, that's funny. I was just... I'm only now in this moment realizing that I was just thinking six the whole time, which is funny because I've seen yeah. the new, the two new ones, so to speak, like four times each. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so anyway, there are six, but that's counting a fictional Star Wars Monopoly game played oh. in an episode of The Simpsons. Oh, so the number of published Star Wars Monopoly versions are five. And, and the, definitely the list includes like the original saga. Wow. Monopoly. So like the prequel saga, you know, they're like lumping movies together to get the right number of, of properties. Wow. Um, so yeah. if anybody had any bets, a lot of people are losing money now. So many, so much money. <laughs> uh, third was kind of a checking us sort of a thing. Um, uh-huh. You know, we've been talking about this decline idea uh, and I said something about like most games build up. Uh, not very many games to plenish. Ah. And I stand by that statement, but it's worth noting that we brought up the Battlestar Galactica game twice yeah. prior to that. Can you tell I've been listening? I've been editing the episodes. Um, <laughs> uh, and the Battlestar Galactica game is all about diminishing resources. You know, you have these like... Interesting. You have these uh, these dials mm-hmm. that are like your crew and your fuel and your blah and your blah, and they only ever tick down, I think. I don't... Okay. I don't I feel like that is that was like stress because they were constantly ticking down. If they ever went to zero, you were like, "Oh God, the fleet yeah. is gone." So you know that's just an important <laughs> thing to acknowledge is that that game exists uh-huh. and we've both played it. Have uh-huh. you played it? I think so. 
I have vague memories of it. it. We should play it. Um, I have it. Uh, we, we. I think I've played a goodwill know... version of it, and like there was a missing goodwill key. version yeah. of it. Yeah, we went. I went to the the goodwill. It was at a shelter that I that I was oh, running, okay. Okay. and we we purchased games for the shelter. And one of the games was Battlestar Galactica, and I tried to play it with a bunch of my guests at the shelter, and then we realized we were missing a bunch of pieces. Jeez, that's rough. Yeah. That game is rough without missing pieces. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so that's an experience. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wish I had been quick enough to bring that up. But um, clearly, I think that we are thinking about that. And I think it probably informs where we're going. Yeah. Uh, fourth, I did not reread on writing by Stephen King to determine whether I was correct in thinking that the general wisdom on creativity being a constant practice comes from there. But I would like to note that it's a pretty good book. Uh, that's uh-huh. all I have uh-huh. to say about that. Um, nice. nice. Let's talk about sponsors really quick. Thanks. Do we have sponsors? We do. We have the same sponsors that we did last time, which was oh, Bodybox wow. for some uh, sound gear. Nice. Also, um, PICA, the Portland Institute for Contemporary Arts. Nice. Uh, gave us some mic stands on permanent loan. Oh, that's very kind. They don't know that they're on permanent loan. Well. But they have a lot of them. And sure. And they don't need these two. So yeah. let's say permanent. Yeah. Um, semi-permanent. And then, <laughs> no, I gave Charlie's mic stand back. So sorry, Charlie. Uh, yeah. Thanks to my basement for being f- filled with stuff. What have we been drinking tonight? We've been drinking La Croix. La Croix. And, and uh, uh, I've, I switched over to gin because I think it makes me feistier. I see. And you have been... I, s- I, did, I started with Buchanan Scotch. And then I... You got me for my birthday. Thank you. You're welcome. And then I... Then I uh, did uh, a bullet bourbon these Both. are all these are all good things all neat you know someday when we really ramp this podcast up and we're yeah. making billions for every episode yeah. we can like have the bottle of scotch that we found to match yeah. the particular yeah that's the master plan right there, there. It is. that's the actual plan that's how we know we're not declining and falling there you go but we are rising Actually, that that might be the that might be the sign that we're declining. Um, <laughs> we renamed the podcast. I wasn't sure whether to oh, right. bring this up or not. Um, there's another podcast called The Board Meeting. So I'm sure it's a fine podcast. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, so we're calling this The Board Retreat. Nice. Why didn't we Google this before? I don't know. <laughs> Why don't we Google anything before? It's a stream of conscious podcast. Yeah. Uh, the Board Retreat, though, Google is clear. It's in the clear. <laughs> um, and honestly, you know... You know, I th- I think that all creativity needs challenges. Yeah. Um, and I think <laughs> that when you challenge yourself, you know, when you challenge your initial hits on things, as we intend to do, I think that you arrive at something better if That's you right. arrive at something different. And I think the board retreat is a better descriptor of what we're doing right now. Because yeah. we're like, we're not just meeting. No. We are retreating. <laughs> we're advancing towards the rear. <laughs> It's a tactical withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And uh, and I'm happy about that. And I'm yeah. glad that we caught it on episode two instead of episode yeah. 200. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But that said, I would like to ask you, Paul Susie, whether this has been a good board retreat. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's been really exciting to me not to beat a dead horse, but it's been really exciting to me to glimpse the possibilities of like how this structure of we're going to make a game in a podcast right. is actually spoiler alert, a really great tool 
for examining a worthwhile life. Yeah. And we're discussing that in real time, and we're focused on building a game, but it feels like, I feel like I have a much clearer sense of the possibilities of greater insight on the rest of the aspects of my fucked up life that can emerge organically from discovering what this game is. Totally. Yeah. I think that that's a good thing to hold on to because I feel like right now we're just, it's not that we're shooting the shit, so to speak. It's that we're, we're dissembling, you know, we're, we're, we're fermenting. We're, we're trying to bring up a lot of things to kind of see what sticks and what, which direction we're pulled in as we're like talking about it. Um, I think that that, that has a danger of passing as we get an idea and we say, okay, we want to make this game. We want to have it be for three to say, but you know, like we make up a lot of stuff and then we start getting into it. You know, we start saying, okay, on the first turn you have X and you have to do Y and the turn order is X, Y, Z. And like, there's just all these like nitty gritty mechanical things. Um, that yeah. we have to figure out on this podcast. Yeah. And I think that we need to to keep th- this perspective of are we doing yeah. what we want to be doing with each decision, with yeah. each discussion. Yeah. I think we need to hold true to that because it's very... I, I know that one of the things that attracts me about designing games is that it's a puzzle. You're constantly making up puzzles for yourself yeah. to solve. And when you solve them, it's like this epiphany. You're like, oh my God, the thing yeah. X fits into Y, two X is Y. Yeah. You're, you're, you're on the top of the world. But being a little hyperactive, the thing that I've discovered in my creative life is that epiphanies are a part of your brain. They're not cosmic. Yeah. They're the the Yeah. Epiphanies do not lead anywhere. They're just a kick to move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and maybe they lead somewhere. Mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. you you get somewhere and then you have another epiphany you go off or you put in a bunch of hard work and go the other direction because that's the right direction to go in and you never get an epiphany but then you end up and you're like, "Oh, this was good." Right. You know, end of story. Um wow, that was like did I just bring down the big topic? I brought down a big topic. It was a big one at the bit, at the end of it. But um, I think as we're having, I think that we're gonna have a lot of uh, fun moments working out those mechanics, um, and just keeping a little bit of perspective on it. Yeah. I think is important. I think yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good board meeting. Good yeah. board retreat. Good board retreat. God, that was awkward. Sorry. Do I edit that out? Well. Have a good night, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thank you.